So there are six lines in the last section of the Apostles' Creed, and there are seven Sundays between Easter and Pentecost. And so uh, this morning we are going to spend another Sunday looking at what it means to belong to the communion of the saints, particularly in light of celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper, together. And to do so, we're going to look at Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 14. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption the blood of goats and bulls, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the best things about living in and around Grand Rapids was getting to attend Art Prize every year. Art Prize is an international art competition open to anyone with an artwork to enter and a venue willing to host it. So for 18 days in September, nearly a thousand artists take over the city, displaying their art in museums and galleries, but also in restaurants, churches, libraries, storefronts, bridges, courtyards, and parks. And the public walks around and looks at the art voting on their phones for the pieces that they love the most. And like a lot of art, there are stories behind many of the entries. In 2018, one entry and story in particular caught my attention. It was a piece displayed in the Grand Rapids Art Museum crafted by Saskia Jorda, who immigrated to the US from Venezuela as a teenager. In the piece, pots and pans and cooking utensils hang from the ceiling with red yarn, the color of blood, pouring from them to spill out into the floor below. The piece is titled Casserolazzo and is a monument to the practice from which it gets its name. The Casserolazzo, which is Spanish for casserole, is a form of peaceful protest in which people make noise by banging pots and pans with utensils to call for attention and to document their unrest and displeasure at particularly government policies and procedures. People gather on the streets, but they also lean out of their windows or doors, participating at any given moment. The Casarolazzo is a particularly popular form of protest in South American countries, including Chile. In 1971, Casarolazzos began in Chile to protest food shortages during the Salvador Allende administration. The Casarolazzos stopped when Augusto Pinochet proclaimed himself supreme chief of the nation in 1974. 
Under Pinochet's regime, any opponents or protesters were disappeared, vanished into the night to be tortured, to be killed, to never be heard from again. The Casarolazos stopped. The community disappeared from the streets, disappeared from their windows. Because what torture does, what stealing people away in the night does, is break down the links that join person to person and instead isolate the victim. And in doing so, create fear in those who are left behind. For who can be trusted? Who's on your side? Pinochet could control the people by severing the bonds of solidarity that gave people hope and strength and safety. He sowed fear and distrust and so broke the communal body. I think of the, the other ways, maybe a bit less dramatic, but no less real, in which the communal body is severed and broken. The body is broken by the polarizing us-them language of the political machine. The body is broken when we demonize one another. The body is broken when we don't feel safe to be ourselves. The body is broken by secrets, hidden pasts or lives that create an invisible wall between us. The body is broken by illnesses that keep us from being together. There are forces without and within that seek to break us apart and keep us apart, fractured, divided, fearful, alone. But humans are built for community, designed to live life together. Last week, we looked at the hopeful truth that you are a saint and you belong to the communion of saints. We need each other. We need to know that we are not alone. We need the body. We need the body of Christ. And here's the good news to start things off with. Christ gave us his body. He first came down to us, tore down the wall separating heaven and earth and became one of us, lived among us. There is solidarity between God and humans. God was with us and for us. And then Christ gave himself completely for us. His body was broken for us. This is what strikes me about our text from Hebrews 9. It talks about blood a lot, which makes us a little uncomfortable. We don't like to dwell on how messy it all was, how horrible the sound of bones breaking, the rivers of blood pouring from his back, the wail of a voice abandoned by God. It cost Jesus something to die. It wasn't a, a quick and easy death followed by an even quicker resurrection as though having to die was just something to get done and over with so that the real triumph could happen. It was agony. It took a will stronger than I can imagine. It was truly a sacrifice. 
The body of Christ was tortured. It was broken. But not unwillingly. And that, of course, is the trick. Jesus took on the pain and the violence willingly, though he could have destroyed his captors with a word from his mouth. And so he robbed that violence of its power. Death should have had the final say, but by taking on that death willingly, the final word belonged to Jesus. And in his death, Christ created a new body, a body of believers, believers who are united in him and thus to each other, no matter the forces that would try to break that body apart. A body that now bears witness to Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and so bears witness to the love that disarms violence, the compassion that robs hatred of its power. And before he died, just before he died, Christ gave that body a way to bear this witness in the simple act of taking bread and wine. Pope John Paul II said, the sacrifice of the cross perpetuated down the ages. This sacrifice is so decisive for the salvation of the human race that Jesus Christ offered it and returned to the Father only after he had left us a means of sharing in it as if we had been present there. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, on the very simplest level, we remember that Christ died for our sins. We dwell upon this and we give thanks. But there is much more happening in some mysterious, miraculous way. John Calvin said that when we participate in this supper, the Holy Spirit lifts up our own spirits to be joined with Christ. And we experience union with him. Theologian William Cavanaugh puts it this way, when we eat the food of the Eucharist, which is another name for the Lord's Supper, it is not consumed into us, but we are consumed into it, into the body of Christ. When we come to this table, we very literally remember the body of Christ knit together into one body. This table is the antidote, the response to all the dismembering, the breaking of the body that happens on a daily basis. Kavanaugh, the theologian, studied the church in Chile under the Pinochet regime, and he wrote a phenomenal book titled Torture and Eucharist. And he writes this, where torture is an anti-liturgy for the realization of the state's power on the bodies of others, Eucharist is the liturgical realization of Christ's suffering and redemptive body in the bodies of his followers. I will acknowledge that is a pretty dense sentence. Because what does that even mean, liturgical realization, right? We know the word liturgy to mean the the sequence or the order of events that take place in a Sunday morning service. We walk through the liturgy together. We sing, we hear God's greeting, we sing some more, we confess our sins, etc. That is the liturgy. But the word is is a bit broader than that. 
Here's another theologian, the Orthodox theologian, Alexander Schmemann, who once said that the original sense of the word liturgy was an action by which a group of people become something corporately together, which they had not been as a mere collection of individuals. In other words, something is being enacted, is being created, is happening, is being realized through us and to us in our liturgical, together, corporate actions. And so when we participate in the liturgy of communion, of the Eucharist, we become something more than Laura and Tom and Christina and Henry and Steve. We are united with Christ. We become the body of Christ, remembering Christ's body and blood, witnesses now to his sacrifice of love and mercy. And that has some pretty big implications. Because what happens here in the liturgy, in the sanctuary, shapes how we ought to live out there from Monday to Saturday. And often, it does not. When we're told, you are the body of Christ, we know that that's true, but we also know that sin has affected that reality. That we don't always live as though we are the body of Christ. So there is a summons in that statement. This is who we are, and now we must live as though it is so. St. Augustine said it this way to his congregation in the fourth century. So if it is you that are the body of Christ and its members, then it's the mystery meaning you that has been placed on the Lord's table. What you receive is the mystery that means you. It is to what you are that you reply, amen. And by so replying, you express your assent. What you hear, you see, is the body of Christ, and you answer, amen. So be a member of the body of Christ in order to make that amen true. If today we bear witness to the sacrifice of Jesus for us, and we profess our unity with Christ in this sacrament, and thus our unity with one another as the body of Christ, then we are called to live as that body, to live in sacrifice, to live in love in the whole of our lives. And so as the body of Christ, we are called not simply to look at victims and try to minister to them from our places of safety and comfort, but to identify with them, to go to where they are, to meet them where they are at. As the body of Christ, we are called not to perpetuate violence and fear, but to absorb that violence, to take it upon ourselves, perhaps at great cost, to meet such fear and hatred with love and kindness and peace, and so rob that violence of its power. As the body of Christ, we are called to repent of the ways we have perpetuated such violence and fear and contend with the enemy within, not simply blame the enemy without. It costs something to be the body of Christ. It costs something to say to the other, this is my body which is for you. 
It means dying to self, to our selfish desires, our pride and our fear. But in dying to self, we live as those we truly are, the body of Christ, one with Christ and one with each other. So today we come to this table. It's a table laden with bread and grape juice, not pots and pans and cooking utensils. But this table is its own form of protest. It is a declaration to the world that hatred and fear and violence and loneliness do not have the final word. And if we take this table seriously, then it calls us to something. This table calls us to a life lived for the other, to be the communion of saints, the body of Christ. This table calls us out into the streets, out into our windows, out into our communities, bearing the love of Jesus that we might say to each other, I am here with you and for you. In the first weeks and months of COVID, we came out to our windows. When the fear of sickness kept us isolated and alone, when the body was broken apart, people came to their windows and their balconies to sing, to dance, to give thanks for medical workers, to tell stories and jokes, to eat meals in the company of neighbors. And so we protested against the isolation I am here with you and for you. I have a friend who lives in the Netherlands, Reinhardt, who's helped to organize four trips now to the Hungarian-Ukrainian border in the last few weeks. Him and some friends bringing vans full of food and necessities that they collect at their local churches to be distributed in refugee camps. And then they take some of those refugees back to the Netherlands with them, enfolding them in their communities and homes. And so we protest against the forces that torture, that disrupt, that kill, that destroy the body. I am here with you and for you. People in our communities get sick or they have surgery or they have babies or they lose loved ones and we show up at their doors with casserolazzos, with casseroles. And so we protest against the fear of being forgotten, of sitting alone with our worries and our grief. I am here with you and for you. A group of Christians form a wall surrounding Muslims praying in the middle of the protests in Egypt 11 years ago, just a month after a Christian church was bombed by Islamic radicals. And so they protested against the powers that would rip us apart through hatred and revenge. I am here with you and for you. And in Chile, in the 1970s, the church became the place where the community came together. In 1973, the Committee of Cooperation of Peace in Chile or the Copachi was born, to respond to the desperate needs of those who were fired from their jobs, forced out of their homes, or on the run because of persecution from the regime. Pinochet had declared himself, however, to be the savior of Christian civilization, and so he couldn't directly attack the churches. 
So when he forced the closing of Copaci in 1976, the Catholic Church took on that work itself, providing services to thousands and thousands of people. And the name of this ministry was Vicaria de la Solidaridad, the Vicariate of Solidarity. Through social programs, health initiatives, garden projects, summer camps for youth, soup kitchens, building projects, and these arpileras, which are quilts made mostly by women needing an income that depict life lived together in resistance to the regime. The church helped knit people back together, remembering the body of Christ protesting the forces that would keep them in isolation and fear. I am here with you and for you. They lived out the liturgy of the Eucharist. So today we come to this table. And in our participation of this table, we declare this is my body, this is my body. I am here with you and for you for Christ is in us and with us. And after we have partaken and we are nourished and our faith is strengthened, we pray, make of me some nourishment, O God, some food for my brothers and sisters who are hungry for gladness and hope, that being bread for them, I may also be fed and be full. That's from a prayer written by Ted Loder, And so to close, I invite you to join me in the fullness of that prayer. Sometimes, Lord, it just seems to be too much. Too much violence, too much fear, too much of demands and problems, too much of broken dreams and broken lives. Too much of war and slums and dying. Too much of greed and squishy fatness and the sounds of people devouring each other and the earth. Too much of stale routines and quarrels. Unpaid bills and dead ends. Too much of words lobbed in to explode and leave shredded hearts and lacerated souls. Too much of turned away backs and yellow silence, red rage and the bitter taste of ashes in my mouth. Sometimes the very air seems scorched by threats and rejection and decay until there is nothing but to inhale pain and exhale confusion. Too much of darkness, Lord. Too much of cruelty and selfishness and indifference. Too much, Lord. Too much too bloody, bruising, brainwashing much? Or is it too little? Too little of compassion, too little of courage, of daring, of persisting, of sacrifice, too little of music and laughter and celebration? O God, make of me some nourishment for these starved times. Some food for my brothers and sisters who are hungry for gladness and hope. That being bread for them, I may also be fed 
and be full. Amen.